You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. Today we're talking about funding for County 911 operations. Joining NYSEC's Legislative Director Ryan Gregoire is Steve Sharp, Director of Emergency Communications for Genesee County. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of NYSAC's County Conversation. I am your host for this week, Ryan Gregoire, NYSAC's Legislative Director. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest of ours, uh, Dr. Steve Sharp from Genesee County. He is the Director of Emergency Communications for the county. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you having us on. Great. Well, well, thanks, Steve. Um, maybe you can start off by telling our listeners a little bit about you, uh, your position in Genesee County, and what exactly it means to run a 911 dispatch operation. So, um, as you said, I'm, my name is Stephen Sharp, and I am the Director of Emergency Communications for Genesee County. So, in our county, it's a little bit unique in that I have three hats that I wear. The first thing that I do is I supervise the uh, the county emergency dispatch center or 911 center, is what most people call it. The other thing I do is I administer the public safety radio system in Genesee County that covers all of the radio equipment for our public safety first responders. The other thing that I do is I manage the public safety information technology that's implemented within the center. And to some extent, what what gets pushed out to our first responders as far as um, some apps that they may have or how we communicate with them from a dispatch perspective. So three different hats. Um, A lot of my time actually is spent just trying to make sure everything works. Honestly, uh, the technology is complex, it's hard. So a lot of my time is spent working with vendors, making sure that we can fix technical issues, uh, negotiating contracts with vendors, making sure that we appropriately budget for our operations for not only the year that we're in, but the next year, making adjustments to budget. And then most importantly, making sure that we have the right people Uh, training and equipment in the center so that way when we serve the public that we're actually providing the service that they need so that's kind of in a nutshell what I do yeah that's great Steve and and for our listeners who may not realize this uh, and and for the general public as well you know when you dial 911 when you're facing an emergency and dial 911 it's a county employee in most cases that is answering that phone. So uh, Steve in Genesee County is in charge of all those employees. And you know, to just to what Steve talked about a minute ago about how complex the technology is, certainly uh, with the complexity of technology comes you know an, an increased cost as well to manage that operation, to appropriately fund that operation, make sure that you have the technology in place that you need to effectively do your job. So Steve, maybe you can talk to uh, talk a little bit about how your department is currently funded. And, um, you know, does the state of New York provide you with any grants to, to help you uh, run your operation? So to answer your question, and I'm going to start first with how we operate our budget. Our communications budget in Genesee County is a little unique because our budget covers those three hats that I wear. So it covers staffing and operating and maintaining the equipment that's in the 911 center, but it also includes 
making sure that our radio system is working. We have a communications coordinator that spends about half his time working on 911 issues and half his time on radio issues. And, and we also have to support the maintenance of all those towers that we operate, making sure the equipment works, uh, making sure the radios work uh, down at the responder level. Our budget also includes some of the costs that are associated with the information technology that we use. So about 65 to 70% of our operational budget each year is covered by our county taxpayers. So that's the largest share of who provides the money. Now we do have local wireless and wireline surcharges. Those account for about seven to 8% of our operational budget. So you notice it's not a lot. And then um, what we get from the state for PSAP operations grant is about another 68%. Um, so it's not a lot of money that we're getting from the wireless surcharge revenues. So most of it is on our county taxpayers to pay the bill. Now, when it comes to the radio system, about 25, 20 to 25% of our operational budget is covered by the statewide interoperable communications grant or the SICG grant. This is a relatively new thing that the state started, which is actually uh, one of the things we applaud the state for doing because these radio systems, um, especially given how complex and um, how expensive they are, it's, it's a good thing that the state's supporting that. Now, not normally is it, as I said, depending on which county you're in, determines whether or not that radio budget is in the 911 center budget or it's in a separate budget, say emergency management um, or the county sheriff's office it, or a separate agency. So for us, that's kind of how the breakdown occurs. And I'll be honest with you, without the SICG funding, uh, those county taxpayers would be paying for um, those large radio maintenance costs. Yeah, so uh, that's great, Steve. You, you know, you talked about two very large grants, the SICG grant, the PSAP grant, and then there's also this targeted communication grant, which is more of a competitive-based process. It's not awarded to every single county, uh, and it's not a, you know, a, a part of a regular grant-funded process, but it's designed to help with large telecommunication upgrades. You know, can, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the normal flow of these grants and why it's so important for them to be released to counties uh, in a timely manner? You know, maybe talk a little bit about how your budget process works and, and why it's really important to make sure that you know what's coming down the pipe uh, so you can appropriately plan for your operations. So, I mean, it's this goes into a lot of the concerns that I would say are universal for most of the counties, because most of the counties in New York State have their budget cycle, which is the calendar year. So it begins January 1, ends Jan uh, December 31st. Then you, what you have is the state budget cycle, which begins April 1st and ends March 31st. So you have two different fiscal years um, that are operating at the same time. So ideally for me, I wanna know what money I'm getting from the state in like August. So that way I can right. prepare my budget present it to whoever my county exec, county manager, budget officer, whoever it is, uh, get that approved, go through the legislative process to approve the budget sometime in October, November, right? Well, yeah. here's the problem. The state's collecting the money beginning in March. So they don't know how much money they have. So what they want to do is, you know, ideally we'd be applying for the PSAP operations grant in May and get an award sometime in like August. And then we would apply for the statewide interoperable communications grant 
sometime in July, get the award in September. Um, something that causes the delay is, you know, the state's waiting to figure out how much money they have for that budget cycle, right? Because sure. those revenues are coming in. Um, and that's kind of why um, when we're looking at it, that's why the SICG grant, which is, you know, that 20 million that's targeted and 45 for the, that's formula based for the state, that's a $65 million, that's a big chunk. So what we see is that the statewide interoperable communications grant is about a year and a half behind. And I'm, you know, one of the reasons that I'm thinking that is, and maybe, maybe I'm giving the state too much credit, I don't know, but maybe they're doing it because they wanna make sure that they already have the money in the bank so that way they can issue the grant. Right. The problem is um, everything was working great. And um, the Department of Homeland Security Emergency Services, um, uh, specifically the Office of Interoperable Emergency Communications Grant, they were, tr they were getting into a cycle. They were getting into that, okay, we're gonna apply for PSAP in May because it's only $10 million. So it's not that big of a, that, of a pot and we should know if we're gonna be able to hit that mark by May. Um, and, then it, and then we were applying in Jul you know, July or August. Um, Everything seemed to be working okay. Like we've, we almost had the normal cycle in 2019. Like the PSAP grant came out on time. The SIG grant came out in late December. It was a little too late for the budget process. We liked it a little sooner. And then COVID hit and everything blew up. And sure. the whole world stopped, honestly. Um, and one of the things that people fail to realize is at the local level, here in Genesee County, it wasn't just the health department doing everything that was related to the pandemic crisis. We had people from probation, we had county clerks, we had, you know, people from like IT, we had everybody was chipping in to set up the testing sites and do contact tracing and go and then transition to giving the vaccine and doing all these things. Well, guess what? You know, it's the same pool of people at the state, you know, there's only so many people uh, that are working in, in county and state government. Well, guess what happened at the state? Those same people, they were doing the same thing at the state level. They were yeah. setting up vaccination sites. They were setting up testing sites. They were working on the communication support because they had to have radios that needed support. So the state got behind. And so now what we are dealing with is there were no grant applications in the year 2020. So that means now SIG is almost two years behind and the PSAP operations grant is a year behind. We just got awards for the PSAP operations grant that should have been for the entire year of 2020. So in other words, instead of us getting that grant award back in September, you know, August or September last year, we just got the award. The award letters went out this week. Um, so now what the counties are doing is they are doing budget amendments to account for, okay, this is how much money we got. Did we guess right? You know, did we go too high? Did we go too low? So now all the counties are making those adjustments during the budget cycle, which is not ideal. Uh, we just applied for the SIG grant. Uh, that was back in May and June. That just closed, I believe, June 10th. So, you know, the county, the county, the county's submissions are just in. So now the state has to take all those applications, figure out, you know, did they fill out the application correctly? Did they do that? Did is all the information correct? Did they, did, did they put a typo in there? And instead of putting like, you know, eleven thousand, they put in, you know, one thousand. So all those little errors that happen during the grant application process delay the grant application process. So now we're looking at, 
you know, they've got to evaluate all those grants, correct all the errors, make sure that the counties are, are set, and then it has to go through you know, the approval process. So once they figure out what the number is, then that has to go through the approval process up the chain. So now we're looking at ooh, maybe September, right? September, maybe October, by the time we actually get the award a year late, you know? So it's right. like, and for me, it's like, I budgeted that money. I budgeted it based off of what I got in 2019, 2018, 2017. So now I'm, I'm like, you know, we're spending money based hoping that we're going to get reimbursed by the state based off of the grant and the cycle. The good news is when the state issued the grant, they said, hey, the performance period begins January 1, 2021. That was one of the things that we asked for in our recent press release between New York State Association of Counties, New York State 9 coordinators, Sheriff's Association, emergency managers. We all got together and said, look, you got to make the performance date January 1. So that way, for those of us who have been doing our job and maintaining these systems, um, we're going to be able to pay the bills. Exactly, exactly. That's that's a really great synopsis of uh, the timing of all these grants and why they're so important, Steve. Thank you for that. You know, I, I, I want to pivot for a minute here. Um, so you, you talked a little bit about the surcharge revenue that's collected on both cellular devices and on landline devices. You know, New York State, collects, well, we're actually approaching close to $200 million in 911 surcharge fees on telecommunication devices. The system of disbursement is incredibly complex along with the system of collection. You know, there's prepaid cellular fees, contracted cellular fees, landline surcharge fees. Some counties have different uh, fee rates than other counties. You know, can you explain to our listeners the existing landscape and some of the challenges that the providers, the consumers like you and I, and the local government face trying to navigate and figure out the complexity of these, you know, really these three different types of surcharges that are out there? Yeah, um, well, I'm going to focus specifically on the New York State Public Safety Communication Surcharge. Um, that's the $1.20 uh, per line or per account uh, item that you see on your bill. When you look at your monthly bill, every month you'll see a $1.20 public safety, New York State public safety communication surcharge. And your estimate, it's a little low because um, according to comptroller data, actually from April, 2020 to March, 2021, which is the last fiscal cycle, the state collected $247 million. Wow. It's, okay. it's a lot higher than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's do that again. $247 million. <laughs> that the state of New York collected. And um, I think that's where a lot of our frustration comes in because, you know, 2020, we kind of stopped doing the grants. And part of the reasoning was, well, we don't have the money. We got to see what the financial situation is. The money was rolling in and it was rolling in in record numbers. Right. So they're sitting on the money they and they already had the money from the 2019-20 budget that was the SIG money. So they already had the money for SIG. Um, they knew they were getting the money hand over fist for the, you know, for this past budget cycle for 2020, 2021. And they sat on it. And, and that was the thing that was frustrating because we're sitting here and they, we can look at the comptroller data. That's the great thing about Open Book New York. We can see how the revenues are coming in. We can see how the local surcharge revenues are coming in. Um, 
good thing about transparency in government is then you can look at your government officials and say, what are you doing with the money? Because, <laughs> you know, it's there. You took it for this purpose. Why aren't you issuing the grants? And that was a lot of the frustration that we were dealing with. It's like, okay, you're two years behind. You're one year behind. I understand that, you know, the pandemic happened, but, you know, I still had to, we still had to handle all the non-pandemic related things that happened in public safety. Like I had to deal with both the pandemic and then we had to deal with the daily day, you know, the phone's broken or, you know, this person had a fire or, you know, there's a, the domestic still happen. So right. we got to do, it's kind of like you got to walk and chew gum at the same time. And for some reason, the state just kind of clamped down on everything. And I understand because of the fiscal situation, but when you have a specific revenue stream that's for a specific purpose, that has specific allocations that's been enacted by both houses of the legislature and by our governor, you're like, you know, let's live up to what we talk to. So when you look at that $247 million and that $1.20 surcharge, right off the bat, right off the top, 50 cents of that $1.20 doesn't even go towards public safety communications. It goes straight into the general fund. It's like, and it's right there written in the law. So it's not like the legislature's hiding this. It's not like the governor's hiding this. You know, both houses, the assembly, the Senate and the governor, they all agreed, yeah, this is how we're gonna use the money. And, you know, we have elected officials. So that's government in action. Um, I don't know if most people realize that that's what's happening. Um, I think we should change that because, you know, we have something called next generation 91 coming down the pipe. Right. Now, you look at that $247 million and I did a, a brief breakdown. So you look at it, 10 million of that $247 million goes towards the PSAP operations grant. That's 4%. 4% of the money that's collected to support your 911 center is actually going to the 911 center. And you got to remember when this public safety surcharge, um, uh, public safety communication surcharge was enacted first, it was the 911 surcharge. Back around 2010, they changed it to public safety communication surcharge. And that allowed them to use it for public safety radio systems. Great idea. Good way to fund these really expensive, large ticket items. So that way, and then establish grant programs um, to give to the counties. Now that statewide interoperable communications grant is about 26% or 65 million of that 247 million. So yeah, that makes sense. All right, we're gonna use some for 91, some for the public safety radio systems. Great. Again, why did we keep it at $10 million? It's been $10 million since like 2004. I'm sorry, but you the amount of revenue that you have is coming in. It's just, just dialing up, dialing up, dialing up. Yet the PSAP money stays this small. It, and yet our expenses, you know, are just to keep the lights on, keep going up. Uh, for right. our and I think you you said that the state grants, the SICG and the PSAP grants, which total 75 million statewide, only account for seven or eight percent of Genesee County's, you know, 911 communication budget. Yeah, 68 would be the PSAP operations grant. Um, that bigger chunk may have been higher. Yeah, it's about seven to nine percent is the SIG grant. So what we're looking at is 68 percent is the PSAP operation grant, seven to nine is the SIG grant. It's peanuts, okay, compared to what we're doing. And again, our county taxpayers that are doing all this stuff they're paying the lion's share. Sure. And you're looking at this and you look at how the money's allocated. So again, we look at that 247 million, 
10 million goes to PSAP operations. 65 million between the formula and the targeted grant goes for radio systems. 25 million comes off the top and goes straight to uh, the New York State Police because they have radio systems too. They're trying yeah. to operate. They, um, I think they still operate one PSAP. They also um, staff the Thruway Authority as far as you know, making sure that the troopers are responding. So they have like 911 operations out of there because we transfer anything that happens on a thruway. If it's just law enforcement, we're transferring it to the thruway authority. So the New York State Police are our partners in that process. Um, what we don't know is what happens to the amount that's unallocated. So again, let's look at this. You've got that 41.7% or 50 cents on the dollar 20 that's going straight into the general fund. Okay, that equated to nearly $103 million this past year. And then the unallocated amount was around 44 million. So 147 million of the 247 that they collected, we don't know what happened with it, went into the general fund. Right. Uh, could have been spent on anything. We don't know what it's spent on. I'm, I'm you know, we hope that the government's spending our money wisely. Um, but our biggest concern is you're collecting it for a purpose. All that money should be set aside in a trust fund account and then used for the purpose for which it's collected. And that's kind of where we're going into, um, for our next point. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. The Public Employer Risk Management Association is the largest and most successful self-insurance pool for public entities in New York State. They have been providing workers' compensation benefits for over 35 years to more than 550 municipalities who have chosen PERMA to manage their claims and ensure workplace health and safety. Yeah, you know, and and Steve, New York State's not unique in this uh, issue, and, and that issue being this diversion of funds. Uh, to your point, it's 147 million of 247 million. So that's the majority of the funds collected on this public safety surcharge that shows up on everyone's bill. So, it, you know, and I think you've talked a little bit about what that impact looks like at the local level. It really means that the county property taxpayer ends up having to foot the majority of the cost of of running the 911 communications, emergency communications system um, and making sure that the technology is in place. So when they dial 911, someone's on the other end able to answer that phone and then dispatch accordingly, whether or not they need a fire truck, an ambulance, a police representative or something there else. Because I know a lot of counties nowadays are also dispatching you know, telemental health services and, and other services as part of that uh, service that they're providing to the residents. You know, so, you know, Dr. Sharp, who's with us for our listeners, we're, we're very fortunate here in New York that you've been appointed as the vice chair of a very special FCC strike force to examine this surcharge fee diversion. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that strike force, Steve, and, and what you hope to glean from this position? And if there's any certain action steps that you hope the federal government's going to take? All right, so um, back uh, when they were passing the budget, uh, part of the Congress's budget bill was don't break up the T-band. And part of 
the Don't Break Up, Break Up the T-Band Act, which allows um, a certain amount of spectrum, radio frequency spectrum to be used by public safety agencies, uh, primarily in large markets. Uh, part of that bill was also looking at 911 fee diversion. In fact, Congress has been looking at 911 fee diversion for, I believe they just came out with their 12th annual report. So they've been looking at this for a while. Yes. yes and <laughs> so what they did is they, they kind of did a, Congress basically told the FCC, okay, number one, let's come up with rules about what 911 fee diversion is and what are policies and procedures that we can enact to make sure that people aren't taking $147 million of 247 and using it for some other purpose. Um, so what they ended up doing is they are following two parallel paths. The FCC is doing what's called a notice of proposed rulemaking. And then at, and the other thing that they're doing is they created this 9-1 strike force, which will provide a report to Congress in September about what is fee diversion, what are policies, procedures, or things that we can do to stop fee diversion? One of the questions they ask is, should criminal charges be involved? And then what is the impact of 911 fee diversion? Again, you're looking at, you know, just in Genesee County, if you just gave me another $10 million of that 147 that you're taking and spread that across the entire state of New York, that would probably be, and then, with that maybe include some rules about quality assurance. You could probably put a quality assurance staff member in every 911 center in this, at the county level in New York state to measure the performance of our 911 dispatchers. We want our 911 dispatchers to be good at what they do. We Absolutely. want someone to find mistakes before they become problems. In other words, you know, it's kind of like when, if, if you've ever been, you know, I came out of the Air Force, one of the things that they taught when, when we were on the range is you aim small, you miss small. Dispatchers need to perfect their craft. It is not uh, a skill that you just can come in and sit down. They don't just sit down and answer phones. Exactly. There's a reason why we pass legislation saying they're first responders. It is a skill. It is a difficult profession. And we've got to make sure that we hold our 911 dispatchers to a standard. But right now, we don't have enough people to take the time to listen to all these calls and measure with performance because we don't have enough time and money. Well, if you just increased it from $10 million to $20 million and then said, hey, part of that money needs to go towards quality assurance program, all of a sudden you'd have a lot better service. And then what you're doing is you're raising the floor in other words, you're raising the minimum standard of the service that you're going to receive. Because when I call 911, I want it to be the same whether I'm in Poughkeepsie or at Niagara Falls or up at Thousand Islands or at Watkins Glen or on, you know, on one of the Finger Lakes. I want to get the same minimum level of service. I want the same professionalism across the state of New York. I think Absolutely. our dispatchers do an excellent job. Um, but I think also we don't have all the resources to make sure that we can be the best at what we do. Um, Next Generation 911 is coming down the pipe. If we're taking money and putting it into the general fund, then that means that we're not saving the money to build what we call the Emergency Services Information Network. We're not taking that money and setting it aside to build Next Generation 911. We're not using that money to connect counties so that 911 calls can be properly transferred with information about the caller's location and what's going on 
so that way we can better serve the public. So the purpose of this strike force is to get together. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm completely outclassed by the people on, on the strike force. I mean, there are people that have been in 911 for 30. Some have been in longer than I've been alive. They've been in the business. Um, these people are true professionals. They're very passionate about you know, protecting 911. Um, I'm not speaking for the, the strike force when I'm doing this podcast, because I'm just, right now, I'm just in a listening stage. Right now, we're in the data collection uh, period. What we hope to do is identify some ways where the FCC and the federal government can discourage 911 fee diversion. It's going to be very difficult because like the 911 program office, they have about maybe $100 million in grants that they're issuing nationwide. So that's $100 million spread out across like 50 states, all the territories, tribal entities. That's 100 million. Okay, we're stealing $147 million. There's no incentive for us to stop taking that money in the state of New York. There's just not. You look at that 12th annual report, New York State, top of the list almost every single year. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the right answer is. I'm, you know, one of the things that we're looking at is okay, if people are diverting 911 funds, uh, do we look at, um, do they get their FCC licenses renewed? Because if you don't get, if you don't have radio spectrum, then you can't operate. But at that point, then you're hurting the first responders. So is that yeah. the right answer? We don't know. Right. Um, right. Do we hold up grants? All right, well, let's hold up grants. Which grants do we hold up? Do we hold up all public safety related grants? Well, there's a lot of counterterrorism and Homeland Security money and Department of Justice grants. Can we create that nexus at the federal level for those grant programs to 911? Because sometimes if you say, well, you don't get this money because you're diverting 911 funds, the state may come back under, you know, um, I think it's Article 10, whatever it is, the federal, basically the federal versus state, what, what parts are Article 10 to the states. Article 10. I was I thought I was right, but I just wanted to make sure. But it's bottom line states, the state's ability to manage its own affairs is the federal government overstepping its bounds by saying, right. no, you don't get this money because you can't. It, I think there were some case law where it's like, hey, you can't hold back money for this grant when it has nothing to do with this activity that you wanted to regulate. That's right. So, We've got to figure out what the appropriate nexus is, which grants can apply, and how do we create enough create enough incentive or create a big enough stick for the government to federal government to say, stop doing what you're doing, New York. Um, yeah, and 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 just to piggyback off of that, Steve, you know, from from the Association of Counties perspective too, you know, we it, it's a delicate balance, right? We want to be able to work with the state to one, ensure that we're appropriately funding our 911 communications, our public safety communications, but also we're cognizant and we're, we're aware that the state uh, is relying on this $147 million to fund other parts of the state government operation, which may have a negative impact on the county overall picture. So we, you know, to, to your point, and I think that's why um, you know, you'll see a lot of work coming out of the Association of Counties, the 911 Coordinators Association, in, in developing a plan, you know, and certainly I, I would say that you and I will be working very closely together on this, but to develop some kind of a framework 
to maybe uh, level set and, and find a solution at the state level to help fix this problem. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, from my perspective, we have to achieve a couple things. One, we have to make, and you just talked about this, Steve, we have to make sure that our public safety dispatchers are provided the resources, the training, and both the resources, meaning at a personnel level, but also uh, with the technology that they use on a day-to-day -day basis, we have to provide the adequate resources to make sure they can do their job. Number two is we have to ensure that when a constituent, when a New Yorker calls 911 or a visitor who comes to New York calls 911, that to your point, Steve, they, they have the same service regardless of geographic location. Um, because the public expects that. They already expect that. Um, so we have to make sure that we have the resources so they can, so we can achieve that goal that they're looking for. And then number three is we have to make sure that, you know, whatever change we do at the federal level or at the state level doesn't negatively impact the equation somewhere else down the line. So it doesn't become what I call a zero sum game at the state. We, we have to make sure that we're adjusting the process for the future. So we're funding next gen 911. So we're funding our public safety operations while also preserving you know, property taxpayers. We wanna be able to give them some relief in this equation. So we can't just shift from one bucket to another. Um, we need to really look at, at comprehensive reform. So the state gets what they need, public safety gets what they need and the county taxpayers get some relief at the end of the day. I think that's the overall goal. Yeah, and it's a great wish list. It's very hard to do because, you know, we look at this and it's like always the law of unintended consequences. And we got to take our time with this process. I mean, there's not a quick fix. Because no. as you said, if we're taking that 147 and putting it back towards 911 or NG 911, okay, what was the state using that $147 million for? Right. Okay. Is now is that something that we want to do? Um, that's the that there's choices in government, and that's some of the things that, that and that's the hard part of governing is making the choices with you only have so much revenue coming in. What are the choices that we make, and what are the priorities we have as a society in deciding what we want to spend our money on, and what are we going to compel other people to pay for? Because that's what taxes are. It's compulsory. It's compulsory. So that's that's the thing is, you know, and that's where we have to look at what do we want to accomplish? What is the appropriate use where you're gonna mandate, I'm gonna take your money because it's so important that we do this function. And if it's not that important where I should be forcibly taking money from you to support this effort, um, then maybe we shouldn't be doing that. So, and, that, and that's the thing. And like, we also don't wanna create within the 911 community, we wanna make sure that when we get the money that we're spending it the right way, we should be accountable for how we spend the money. We should be transparent with how we spend the money. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why when you get this search driver's revenue, it should go into a trust fund account. And then every time that money, any dollar that's spent out of that money should be tracked. What are you spending it on? And how are you spending it? And not only should that apply to the state level, it should apply to the counties. If you're getting 911 money, it should go into a specific account and what you're spending on it should be identifiable. So that way, if a, a local taxpayer comes in and says, hey, what did you spend your 911 money on? I'd be able to open up my books and say, this is what we spent it on. Um, 
And I think that's good government practice. I think sometimes we, we have budgets that are so big that we don't know, you know, normal Joe Blow on the street wouldn't be able to figure it out. But as county servants, as public servants, we should be able to explain that to Joe Blow taxpayer. This is how I'm spending your money. And this is why I'm spending your money. And this is why I took your money and why it's important that we used it in the way that we did. Steve, I think that's a great uh, summary conclusion remark. You know, at the end of the day, we we also need to be good stewards of the taxpayer money, and we want to be partners in, in making sure we're we're getting to that goal. You know, I I really liked your idea of uh, using an additional allocation for quality control and quality assurance at the county level. I think that uh, would certainly go a long way to not only helping uh, the taxpayers understand that they're getting the, the top-notch service they deserve, but also for the general uh, public safety dispatch workforce too. You know, it adds another level of uh, verification that this is a hard job. It, you know, to your point, it takes a year or more for training. You don't just sit down at the seat and start answering 911 calls because um, at the end of the day, that's someone's life who's, that's at risk. It's, it's an incredibly stressful profession. I, I can't even imagine, you know, I, I can't even imagine the stress that a dispatch officer goes through, uh, through their regular day-to-day -day operations. And we're just so grateful that, that we have them here at the county level and that we have people within our community who want to, who want to have that profession. So um, with that, Steve, I, I want to thank you again for joining us. Uh, this has been a, a very insightful conversation. And uh, to our listeners out there, I look forward to talking with all of you on the next edition of County Conversations. Thank you Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of County Conversations. And make sure to keep tuning in each Monday for new episodes featuring updates and interviews on innovative solutions in local government.